The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febc.org. Andrew, are you going to love me? Andrew, are you going to be faithful to me, even when you don't feel my presence? It's so hard. And yet Jesus is so sweet in the midst of those hard times. Join us now for a special edition of First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd. The events of the past few weeks surrounding the pandemic of the coronavirus affecting the whole world have led us to set aside the interview we'd planned for this week and instead offer a biblical perspective on suffering. With many people's lives upended by anxiety and fear about our health, our livelihoods, and more, let's take a few moments to address fear and suffering through the comments of several guests who look to God's Word for insight. Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Coming up, you'll hear from Ken Boa, the author of Shaped by Suffering, How Temporary Hardships Prepare Us for Our Eternal Home. The conversation with Ken features my friend Michael Card, who graciously allowed us to air this interview taken from his In the Studio podcast. Later, we'll hear from Andrew Brunson and Johnny Erickson Tata. Let's start with Michael opening the conversation on suffering with Ken Boa. I'm anxious to hear, uh, especially from the viewpoint of Peter, because I've, I've thought a lot about suffering and the way it shapes us and the way it, it, it but, but how it shapes us for eternity, I, that has never occurred to me. It's an extraordinary thought, isn't it? The idea, and that when you just mentioned Peter, my favorite verse in First Peter, as you know, First Peter is, uh, is the job of the New Testament insofar as all five chapters allude to adversity and suffering. Mm-hmm. But the summary that's beautifully encompassed in verse 10 of chapter 5, when he says um, that after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, there are two profound points about that. It's not if, it's after. Mm. Suffering is not an elective in the university of life. It's Mm. a required course. Mm. And furthermore, though, how long will it last? A little while. It's momentary light affliction Mm. producing for us an eternal weight of uh, glory far beyond all comparison. Mm. Whereas Paul says um, elsewhere, that I consider the sufferings of this present time aren't even worth comparing with the glory to be revealed. So it has to do with contextualizing our adversity in this soul-forming world. And that's exactly what we are. So if we grasp that idea of a soul-forming world, then we recognize that we are being shaped and crafted so that in our soul we're going to become more and more consistent with who we already are in the heavenly places in our spirit in Christ Jesus, so that we are now new beings, and yet at the same time we're becomers. We're becoming in our practice who we are called to be, but it's the crucible of adversity that will uh, achieve this. Is there anything in this life that shapes us more than suffering? It's difficult to think so because, uh, of any, because when we stop and think, yes, we have our joys and our fears. And so I, I don't want to be entirely negative. I think we do learn, uh, because consider C.S. Lewis's phrase, God whispers to us in our pleasures, he speaks to us in our conscience, and he shouts to us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a, mm-hmm. a, 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 you know, a deaf world. Now, if that's true, by the way, wisdom would be, listen, listen to his pleasures. 
Listen to his quiet voice in the pleasures and be grateful and understand that all is gift and grace. Few, few do, so we have to take sterner measures. But if we look at the qualities we most admire in heroic men and women of the past, what are the qualities that immediately come to our mind? People will usually say integrity or courage or perseverance or humility. Now stop for them for a moment. Are those qualities, are any one of them forged in times of ease? Never, not a one. Yeah. Always forged in the, in the anvil and the crucible of adversity so that the beauty is that the alchemy of grace, the grace of God, is that it transmutes the lead of suffering into the gold of glory. Well, even Jesus learned through what he suffered. Precisely, and it was needful for him to do so, because as the God-man, then we have this amphibian, the fact that we are are amphibious beings, one foot in heaven, one on the earth, and we are Christ himself, who is the image of the invisible God. He becomes man with undiminished deity, fully human. Clearly, then, it's needful for him, through the adversities of this world, to experience all the temptations that we've gone through, and then this would include the adversities that he'd be trained through, but yet without sin. Ken, when we think of suffering, we think of those things that are physical. You write about non-physical suffering as well in your book. That's correct, because think of the anguish of depression. Uh, people who have uh, experienced profound rejection and uh, have a, a, a horrendous sense of a lack of worth, a lack of hope, a lack of purpose, a lack of meaning. All, all, there are so many emotional things. They're not necessarily going to be physical. In many cases, that could be even more agonizing, as we can imagine, what that would be like. So there are internal, and of course, um, another kind is the things that are self-inflicted that we've brought upon, uh, upon ourselves, uh, that Peter says there's uh, it's far better for you to learn not from things that you've done wrong, but as, if you suffer as a follower of Jesus. But even there, I believe God redeems what he allows. Mm. You include discouragement in that list? I would. Yes, I would, because you see, all who of us hasn't wrestled with those times of doubts, discouragement, dis- depression, disappointment? Um, and we all understand what that's like. It's a school of adversity that trains us into the richness of the fullness of the Spirit as we abide in Christ and walk by the Spirit, which is, by the way, the purpose of the second of this tr- of the trilogy. Because as we know, Saved by Suffering is really the third uh, in this Eternal Perspective trilogy. Uh, and it's how, it, how temporary hardships are preparing us for our eternal home. But the one before it, was really life in the presence of God, and um, the whole idea then of practices for living in light of eternity, and then the first, rewriting your broken story, the power of an eternal perspective. So it all goes down to this idea, and here's what I tell people, that we are no longer defined by the pain of our bounded past, but by the joy of our unbounded future. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now that so is say, a, yeah, that's say a that song again. lyric right you got to say that again. Yeah, let me write that uh, down. Okay. <laughs> We are no, this is astonishing when you stop and think how ugly, unique it is. We are no longer defined by the pain of our bounded past, but rather by the joy of our unbounded future. So that I, therefore, again, I consider the sufferings of this present time not even worth comparing. I use this analogy. 
Imagine if you lived 90 years and it was a largely adverse life, difficult, painful, and you stand before the presence of the Lord, the one who is the creator of the transcendentals of truth, goodness, and beauty, and you see that's the face you've been wanting all your life and didn't know it. Now, you have an hour in his presence. He then says, would you be willing to go back for another 90 years of adversity so you can have another hour with me? I don't believe we would even hesitate. But the beauty is, the hour with him is eternity. And this 90 years is as nothing. Live with a thousand-year perspective. The things we fret about, worry about, fear, and so discouraged about now, won't matter a hill of beans a thousand years from now. So what are the things that will matter? It's going to be, I think the things we will regret at the Bema will be not our pain, no. We'll regret the times we didn't trust him enough to, to uh, do what he calls us to do. Ken, I certainly see in your book that you are writing this uh, to yourself as well as us, right? Yes, of course. In fact, 2018, the year I was writing it, was the most painful and difficult year of my life. Why should I have been surprised now I look back on it? Mm. What's going on? Well, there are some things that were relational that were so extraordinary. Things There was a cluster and a constellation of things, and part of it my wife's Parkinson's, but also her own difficulties. And then some uh, relational tensions that have been profound and hurtful for her as well. So, uh, But there are many other things as well. And just for a, a, a kind of a cascade of things, these things come in groups and clusters sometimes. Mm. And they're need, needful to get our attention. Um, I think I, yes, I remember I quoted Aeschylus in the book. And this astonishing statement, this uh, Greek playwright in the 5th century, how could he say this? He says, he who learns must suffer. And even in our sleep, pain that cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart. And in our own despair against our will comes wisdom from the awful grace of God. You know, Michael and Ken, in God's timing, there's someone who's listening to this podcast right now that just is at the end of the rope. Mm. It just doesn't seem worth it anymore. And here along comes Ken with this encouragement for us today. Yeah, and not simply to say there's purpose or there's meaning, but there is this eternal purpose. uh, Eternal weight of glory, as the scriptures. Yeah, And and that's what's so encouraging me about this book, the idea that this is – there is a purpose in shaping us for eternity – and uh, not just persevering. I mean, sometimes that's the best I could come up with. I'm going to persevere through mm-hmm. this or yeah. learn something through yeah. it. I'm just going to survive this. But it's it's an even bigger purpose than I think any of us ever imagined. Mm. It's to forge Christ in us, mm. Christ in you, the hope of glory, so that ultimately then we become like him. But beautifully, through mm. the prism of, and of our personality, each of us will uniquely display and, dis- and refract and reflect the glory of Christ in a way that no one else can. It's the stuff of eternity. And thinking of that, we, we all know the, tap, the tapestry metaphor, that heaven's view is looking down in the tapestry, our view on earth, we right. see discordant and tangled The backside, yeah. And then he turns it over, we know the story, and he, we see, ah, heaven's view. I said, I'm, let me add one thing to that metaphor. I suspect that the most beautiful patterns in that tapestry will have been forged during our times of greatest adversity. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, Ken, we're, we're getting close to the end, end of our time here. I want to hear you, as only you can respond, uh, I want to hear you respond to this statement, okay? At the point in his life when he's most being used by God, Jesus is lamenting. 
my God, my God. Eloi, 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 Eloi. Yeah. How would you? Well, because it's this point that he knew before the foundation of the world that he would, in fact, somehow be mysteriously separated from the Father. This is inconceivable. The, the, the drops of blood, as it were, was not because of the uh, awful power and of the cross in terms of the agony of the crucifixion, nothing. It's the separation from that relationship. This boggles the imagination. I'm working on a book right now on the uniqueness of biblical theism, just these concepts of, of the God-man, of the triune, triune, triunity of God, of his grace, of the fact that he woos us, pursues us, goes after us. He's the one who sacrifices for us, that it is, in fact, a gift that he offers for us, justification, the second birth, and you can go on and on. This is astonishing. No one ever could have made it up or did. It's utterly from the hand of the living God. So here he is, the one who transcends time and energy and matter. All these things, he are artifacts of his creation. And in the mystery that we get to participate, even when we invite a person, when we pray for a person's salvation, we are asking God to have done something before the foundation of the world. So so if our suffering now shapes us for eternity, what's the relationship of Jesus' suffering to our eternity? We're going to... One of the things that's noteworthy is that, behold my, my hands and my feet, and see where they pierce my side. The resurrected body of mm. Christ will always bear his, his, his pain. And therefore, in a deathless, uh, ageless world in which we no longer see any pain, we'll always see that artifact of our salvation, that's, that sacrament that's visible to us, always manifest. So he is still the lion and the lamb. That is still that is still part of his identity. Yes, that's the point. But and we every time we see it, you see this is what I paid. This is what you're worth. It was not with silver or gold that you were in, uh, redeemed from your fruitful way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of the blem of a, a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. That's what we are worth. Mm. Now I cannot imagine how could this be. I know we are bearers of the imago dei. Yes, we do, and He loves us. But there's something profound, unbelievable. Mm. incomprehensible, that the author of space and time and matter and energy, the wellspring of truth, goodness, and beauty, would in fact become a human, not to live, but to die and give his life as a ransom for many, so that we could enter into his joy. I have a lyric that says, the marks of death that God chose never to erase. Never to erase. They're they're always going to be best, exactly so. And there, in a deathless world, you'll see that artifact and recognize, this is why you live. Mm. Everything in this life, if we're wise, even now, let's learn it. Everything is gift and grace. Mm. Everything. Mm. Gift. That's the key to humility. Finally realize, what do you have that you, were, that you weren't given? Then why do you boast as if it wasn't given to you? Mm. Ken Boa talking with Michael Card. Coming up, Andrew Brunson and Johnny Tata on this special edition of First Person. I so enjoyed listening to the message that FEBC shared on the internet recently. Although I cannot attend church or any meetings during this epidemic, I am finding peace and learning so much through your programs. Praise the Lord. FEBC is dedicated to taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. To learn more, please visit febc.org. That's febc.org the Far East Broadcasting Company, until all have heard.
We're talking with Andrew Brunson, who tells his story in the book, God's Hostage, a true story of persecution, imprisonment, and perseverance. Andrew was released in October of 2018 after serving two years, unjustly, we might add, in a Turkish prison. I've heard you say there was a human story here and a God story here, and the human story is filled with just frustration and uh, tragedy and, and separation and grief. And, and what is the God story in this, Andrew? Yeah, the human story also has a lot of political intrigue and, you know, different uh, things that my wife was trying to, to get going, uh, political figures involved, uh, economic sanctions. So there was all of that going on. Uh, I, I say that's a human story. Then the God story is that uh, the visible side was a human story, but God was doing something behind the scenes, which was really the more real part of it, we could say the most important part of it. Uh, and I think that he was basically he took a situation that was intended to harm me and turned it around uh, and used it for good. So in a sense, he redeemed it. The, I, I say the Turkish government stole two years of my life, but God was redeeming it. But that doesn't make it any easier for you to go through what you went through. I mean, you endured so much. And I, again, in, in the book, you mentioned that when you realized you couldn't fight your, for your freedom, you had to fight for your very faith. Yeah, I can say all of this in hindsight more easily because I've had time to process and evaluate it when I was going through it. No, I was I was uh, desperate. I was broken. I became suicidal. Uh, I lost uh, fifty pounds in the first few months, and uh, was was really broken. Uh, and there was a a rebuilding process that had to take place. As you mentioned, I I came to a point where around the end of the first year where I I realized there was very little I could do to fight for my freedom, but my relationship with God was so strained at that time, so suffocated by all my questions and doubts, uh, that I I just saw that I, w- I was slipping uh, in that. And I, I made a decision to fight for my relationship with God, and this was really a turning point. I mean, before that, I had been focused the entire time on my relationship with God, but I made a, a decision that whatever he did or didn't do, and I said that to him, whatever, God, whatever you do or don't do, I will follow you. Whether you give me your presence or not, I'll follow you. Whether you speak to me or not, I will follow you. Whether you deliver me or not. Uh, Because what had really broken me was the expectation that I would have a sense of God's presence, a sense of strength and of joy, even in the midst of difficulty. And I was really surprised because of biographies I'd read and just the the expectations I had going into suffering that God would give me his presence. But for two years, I did not have that sense of presence. And this goes back to, I mentioned before that in 2007, I began to run after God's heart <laughs> and after his presence. And here I was in my most difficult time, desperate situation. And... I felt abandoned by God. Now, he didn't abandon me, but he did remove a sense of his presence. Hmm. And so, the determination on my side was finally to overcome the offense uh, I had toward God in my heart and say, I am going to follow you. And I I came to realize that um, I had a lot of questions for God, you you know, about his love and his loyalty, his faithfulness, and 
I came to realize that God had questions for me, <laughs> you know. Uh, Andrew, are you going to love me? Andrew, are you going to be faithful to me, even when you don't feel my presence? So, in a sense, I say God's love and faithfulness are never being put to the test. They're, they're constant. It was my faithfulness and my love that were being put to the test. The full interview with Andrew Brunson will be heard in the coming weeks here on First Person. His lessons from suffering in a foreign prison have much to say to us about God's provision in time of need. We are listening to a few voices I've encountered recently who, while not specifically addressing the pandemic, are speaking truth to us about God's love and care, even while our hearts are troubled by our circumstances. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Next week on First Person, you'll hear a recent interview with Johnny Erickson Tata, who sat down with me to talk just before the news of the coronavirus became widely known. Here's a brief excerpt as Johnny addresses the purpose of suffering and the fear that accompanies it. I remember one time coming home from chemotherapy. It was the last time I struggled with it, and I was so sick. I was so nauseous. I was so weak. I'd lost so much weight. And Ken Tata, my husband, he was in the driver's seat uh, going down the 101 toward our home from the hospital. And... I was tied down in the back, and we're having this conversation in the rearview mirror. We're talking about suffering, and I make this comment to him. I said, you know, I think that suffering is like a splash over hell. Hmm. It just kind of wakes us up out of our spiritual slumber. It gets us, you know, thinking about the actual hell from which Christ has rescued us. And so, God gives us these little tastes of, of Hades, of hell, so that we might in some way be jerked awake to appreciate what he's done for us. Mm-hmm. And so that sparked the conversation. Well, then, what are splashovers of heaven? Mm. If suffering is a splashover of hell, what, what are, spl- are splashovers of heaven those easy, breezy, bright days when all is well, the pain medication is working, <laughs> all your bills are paid, you can spl- you explain your EOBs, all your ATM receipts are in order, you, <laughs> you know, everything is fine, the day is rosy, the sun is bright, the birds are singing, and we, we, I said, no, that's not, those aren't splashovers of heaven. Splashovers of heaven are finding Jesus in your splashover of hell. Yeah. And Wayne, I guess that's why I, I I am vulnerable before people because so often it's so hard and yet Jesus is so sweet in the midst of those hard times and um, what I've come to know about him and his ability to sustain me and his identification with me and my suffering as my great high priest who empathizes, oh my goodness, the coin is now flipped. It's so sweet now that I can identify with him. Mm-hmm. Sure, he identifies with us in our weakness. Yes. But boy, when you really suffer, yeah. how wonderful it is to identify with him. Listen for the full interview with Johnny next week here on First Person. Please take all the precautions prescribed in protecting yourself, your loved ones, and your community from the coronavirus. Pray for one another and reach out to help those in need during this critical time. I know our friends at the Far East Broadcasting Company would appreciate your prayers as they clearly communicate not only the news, but also God's love and compassion to millions who listen in many countries. Visit febc.org. From Romans 8, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. With thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. 
Thank you for listening to this special edition of First Person.